And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. The men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. God bless the USA. Deborah DeGroff is a lady who has been exposing what's in children's books in school. And she started with her own daughter, elder, uh, her oldest daughter, uh, because she discovered some things that were happening in the school system, in the books. And when she researched, she found out that this had been going on for a long time. It even went back when she was in school. And I remember I graduated from high school in 1968. Um, and I remember then the first, uh, the senior year, they decided to start teaching sex education. So that was kind of, that was kind of the introduction. And it just went downhill from there. What you're going to hear today is absolutely astounding because Deborah has gotten into literally hundreds and hundreds and thousands of books and uh, determine just exactly what's in the children's books in our country. And it'll blow you away because of the crap that's in there, it's no wonder we've got pedophilia coming out the, uh, out the years, that we've got uh, human trafficking, we've got all the uh, sex change, transhuman, uh, everything, is in these books, and it's been put there for a very specific reason. Deborah, thank you for joining us. I'm so glad that you got on. I don't know how you did it, but thank you for joining us. I was uh, really pleased to see that you made it on. Uh, Deborah DeGroff is a mother, a grandmother, a proud Christian lady who has been doing the research that needs to be done uh, to determine just exactly how corrupt the education system has become. And uh, she's, she's always working. She does newsletters. She's written a book. Uh, her book is called uh, Between the Covers, What's Inside Children's Books. And uh, so, Deborah, with that all said, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I didn't think this was actually going to work. I, I <laughs> don't know what this is. It's always worked before, but I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And I've been well, enjoying listening to your programs also. 
Well, thank you. And I've been uh, enjoying reading your stuff, too. I, I uh, went on and I, I looked at uh, your information. I've read a lot of the things that you've been writing. And, uh, boy, you're spot on. I mean, it not it amazing how naive the American people have been in sending their children to public schools and thinking that they were getting a legitimate education. And yet, at the same time, the scores have been going down for 50 years. I mean, ha over half of our young people in this country are functionally illiterate. And in 1800, 1897% of the people in the United States at that time could read and write. Now, can you imagine we've gone that far in the wrong direction? Yes, I can. In fact, I start my book out with the books children were reading in the 1900s mm -hmm. at, the, at the turn of the century. And it is amazing. The books that the kids read for enjoyment are the books that kids in high school or college are think, think are meant for their personal torture. Mm -hmm. And where children read those books back in 1900, now if you look on some of the reading level sites, those books that kids read in sixth or seventh grade are now listed on 12th grade reading levels. Mm -hmm. That's the sad part about it. And, and people don't realize that the number one primer, the number one reader in education. We didn't have really what you would call public education. It certainly wasn't a federal thing. Right. It was a local thing. It was always created by the local community. The number one primer in education through 19, up until the early 1900s was the Holy Bible, the King James Holy Bible. Yeah. That was the number one, uh, one uh, reading uh, uh, vehicle in the entire education system. And look at what we've done. We've destroyed that too. And well, they have done it purposely and strategically and gradually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They have. Well, let's, uh, let's get started because this is a uh, boy. When I started reading in uh, all the things that you've written, that you're waking up uh, part one and part two are excellent. Um, they, they really uh, explain how the dumbing down process is accelerated. And uh, this is something that people really have a hard time understanding. Of course, we put that in my news, newsletter that I put out announcing the program, but we have literally changed the definition of education from what used to be called liberal, classical liberal education, which was the arts, history, science, mathematics, um, uh, English uh, languages, actually, because so many schools taught multiple languages, and it wasn't uh, English as a second language either. It was that we taught French and German and, and uh, Latin and all sorts of things. That was changed in that same time frame in the late 60s, early 70s. And we, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but we adapted a education system that we shared that came from the Soviet Union that was work 
workforce training. That was the main goal of education in the Soviet Union was to uh, create people who were good workers, not good thinkers. And we adapted that as part of our strategy for education, and it's been downhill ever since. Yes, and I know that you know Alex Newman and have had him on your show. And Alex wrote the last book with Samuel Blumenfeld, Crimes of the Educators, before Sam died. And, you know, they talk a lot about when they threw out phonics. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of Sam Blumenfeld's life mission, was writing books, The New Illiterates, and books like that. And people do not understand today, because if they go to their typical public school teacher and they say, are you teaching phonics? They will say, yes, we are. But there's a different meaning just like everything else has been redefined. And so even when I was in school, um, I started first grade in 65. And it was all word guessing. They had thrown out phonics. And so if I can say this, this is actually in the teacher's manual because I collect these. It says in there, we do not teach vowel sounds because they are generally unnecessary and unreliable. So they don't start teaching that till after you have mastered the word recognition and they introduce that sometime in second grade. So when they did teach you consonant sounds, so kids learned beginning and ending sounds and then they would guess in between. For example, if you had the word uh, pat, you know, pat, pat, pit, pat, pat. And it would have something to do with the picture. They were supposed to look at the picture clues, or they were supposed to, in context, figure out what the word was. So when the teachers tell you that we teach phonics, most of them really believe that. Mm-hmm. But it's not intensive phonics as we were taught. It was a controlled vocabulary. I don't know how much you want to delve into that or whether you want to get into content. But controlled vocabulary simply meant that there was a given word list. My first one had, I think, pre-primer had maybe 20, 22 words in it. And you would, it had 622 words in the story, but only 20 were different words because it was repetition, 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 repetition until you could figure out that word. And that's what, uh, so it limited your vocabulary. So when you talk about how they used to have the different languages like Latin or, or French, okay, what happened is when you had words like that, you had root words in them. And this is where children really learned how to spell. This is where you learned your vocabulary. So even if you did, if you were reading a story and you didn't have a dictionary by you, when you read an unfamiliar word, you had a gist of the word. The kids cannot do that with a limited number of vocabulary words that they have they have learned it makes them where they cannot comprehend well which leads into everything else that we're going to talk about so basically dan you can tell a young child about anything 
And if they don't have the foundations to analyze that, they're vulnerable. Mm -hmm. They're not stupid. They're vulnerable. They mm -hmm. haven't been taught. So they have nothing to base that up on. If they respect you, you know, then they're going to believe what you tell them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. This is a process of indoctrination. Now, I don't know what the number of words are now, but I remember years ago, they said there were 176,000 some odd words in the English language, and that the average American, and I read this not too long ago, I'm gonna say it was within a couple of years uh, from today, that the average American's uh, vocabulary is something like 4,000 words out of the 176,000. They don't know more than uh, 4,000 words. So their whole frame of reference is limited, and that's intentional because language is what makes us thinking uh, uh, conscious human beings. Language is a skill that creates our environment that we understand. It, it's a necessary part. And if you limit that, it's like mind control. It's basically the same thing as mind control because you limit their understanding to so few words that you can, all you've got to do is be able to control those words and bingo, you, you've got a controlled population. Now, I know that's a bit esoteric, but I've, I've had that same discussion with people like Alex Newman. And incidentally, Alex is like a son to me. So uh, he really is. Uh, he and his uh, family are, are almost like my own children. So anyway, uh, does that make, uh, does, does that fit with what your research has found it too? It makes perfect sense, but let's take it to the next level. Good. That's what now I want. Now the words that I have controlled that you have learned, okay, because you're in elementary school, right? Now we've redefined the definition of all of those words. A pronoun isn't a pronoun anymore. A pronoun can be tree and flower, mm -hmm. all right? Mm -hmm. um, everything, it's Isaiah 520 in action. Woe to those who call good evil and evil good and exchange the bitter for the sweet. And you see, everything that you would determine as good, these children have learned is fake news and evil. Mm -hmm. You see, so we're not even talking the same language with these limited words we're using. Mm -hmm. You're right. It's redefining the whole language, and that's been happening yeah. in a major way. Um, you know, it's like the... Uh, uh, definition, the redefinition of man and woman yes. uh, to, to uh, 76. How can they possibly come up with 76 different uh, genders? I mean, that's the uh, most insane thing I've ever heard, but they're doing it and, yes, and people are. are accepting it. And that's yes. the part that's, that's so the part. disgusting. Yeah, yes. that's the part. Mm -hmm. And you wonder, do they really accept that? Or do they go along to get along? Yeah, that's what they're doing. The yeah. American people have turned into the American sheeple. The mm -hmm. American people have turned into the most gutless bunch of mindless netwits. And I'm sorry to say that, but it's mm -hmm. true. 
how many good people do you know that you think are very, very intelligent people, and they go along with all this stuff because they don't want to get out, they don't want to think outside the box, and they don't want to be identified as a troublemaker. But what system did they all go through in Bingo. common? And even when I was in school, I believe probably, you know, it could have started earlier in other classrooms, but for me, about 10th grade started more uh, group work or accepting work due to your feelings rather than whether it had any merit grammatically or spelling wise or anything like that. It was just how do you feel about a subject, whether you have any basis of knowing anything about it at all. And so when you go through that group, you start getting dependent upon what the group thinks. And so now these people are adults. This has gone on. It's, you know, it's not new. It didn't start with Common Core. It's going on for decades and decades and decades. I have one of my father is 90 years old. I have one of his readers from elementary school. It is word guessing. Hmm. The only difference is the teachers back then might have had to use the trash, but they knew how to teach reading and they did so. But as the years continued, that got less and less. Well, that makes that certainly makes sense. And I think, um, I don't know if I mentioned this to you when we first talked a couple of weeks ago, but uh, we all you need to do is go back and look at the eighth grade uh, mm -hmm. test to graduate from the eighth grade in Kansas in 1900. It will blow you away how much there's not. I, I bet there's not 10% uh, of the college graduates today could pass that test. That's how badly we've dumbed down our, our citizens. That's how badly we've, we've destroyed education. It, it, you know, that is a, a very important. I don't want anybody to take lightly what you just said, because many times today you hear, oh, they only went through eighth grade. I want to tell you what they accomplished by the time they finished eighth grade is usually far superior to what your mainline college students get today at the end of a degree. Mm -hmm. Not talking about your specific, you know, courses in science. Right. And right. Like that. Yeah. Kind of a good general education. Yes. I mean, we we uh, we share some common interests because. Uh, uh, John Taylor Gatto is uh, someone who uh, exposed the New York uh, system of public education, right. and he wrote a number of different books. I, I think I have three of his books. That, uh, But he talked about how public education had turned into basically just a babysitting mm -hmm. operation uh, for mind control and to socialize children into a, uh, a system that was uh, totally different than what was intended with a good education. And he talked about, he said, if you homeschool, you can teach your children in five hours what they teach in an entire week in public school and do a much better job. 
Yeah, that's probably a conservative estimate today. When he said that, that was right. probably true. Now it's probably two or three weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would think so. Yeah. And of course, uh, the COVID was a perfect um, a perfect example of how the system was additionally manipulated because it was all the teachers' unions that went to shut down the schools. Kids were getting zero education, or they were doing it online, and many uh, children really went down in their education during that time frame because what kid's going to go on a computer if he doesn't have to, you know? I mean, there were a lot of kids that just didn't do anything. And so we lost a whole year of education there. But if I can address that just a little bit, you know, I have a friend who's a very good English teacher. I call her my grammar queen. And when they had to come up with these lesson plans during the pandemic, the so-called pandemic, okay, they couldn't do what they normally did. See, a lot of times things are covered, you know, where I'm talking to you one-on-one. -on -one. This way, the only thing I'm going to have an answer from you is if you respond to something on the computer. Mm -hmm. So they started using programs that were available online that they didn't have to grade or were easy to grade. You understand, it puts a whole different ball game in their lap too, Okay. So the kids, yes, they weren't getting an education at all. And now this was used to say, see, homeschool doesn't work. I hear this all the time. Yeah, we tried that during pandemic. No, they didn't try it. They were following what the school system gave it, gave them. Right. So we have to call a spade a spade. Well, absolutely. And I mean, the bottom the bottom line on all of this, and I think you would agree with this as well, is that we need to get back to homeschooling all of our children because the public education system as it exists today is destructive yes, and it is. not building good citizens. It's building uh, good workers. That's all it's for. And they, it isn't even doing a good job of that now. Right, right. Okay, well, uh, let's talk about what's in children's yeah. books. This is what the program yeah. is about, and yeah. you have an amazing uh, understanding of the, this whole program because you spent the last 20-plus years studying. Over 30. Exactly, <laughs> over 30. Okay, there we go, studying this very subject. So let's talk about that. Okay, well, probably what most people want to hear about and are familiar with because of all of the YouTube viral videos is the obscenity in children's books. Mm -hmm. Now, I've done this for over 35 years, and I can tell you I still run into normal parents who don't even think that D-A-M-N is in a children's book. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they've really put this under the radar, but the sex in kids' books has been gone on since the 60s and the 70s. This isn't something new. Um, I used to do whole presentations just on all the books for young adults that contained family nudity. I mean, that was one of the themes. 
And you didn't have to deal with one book. You could find dozens that brought in that same issue. Um, you had sex and it was graphic, but there was puppy love. Now there's no puppy love. You walked into the gas station and you saw somebody and you both went in the bathroom for three minutes and, you know, out the door and there's somebody else. And it doesn't matter whether they're, you know, uh, female, male, or as they like to say, both or neither. <laughs> you know, right. I, I mean, it is, I'm sure we can't talk about, so I try to do this in generalities. Uh, but I mean, we can't even say on air. I mean, you could not even comprehend unless you hung out in a back alley in a triple X adult bookstore, you could not comprehend what is in young adult books by major publishing companies. That's amazing. That's absolutely disgusting too. Yes, it is. But you see, now people are starting to wake up that this is in kids' books. But I want to throw something out to you. If I hire you to babysit for my grandchildren and you're showing them Playboy, Hustler, and Penthouse every day, okay? Mm -hmm. And I come to you and I say, Dan, my kids say that you're showing them these things. I don't want you to do all of those out. Does that change your mindset where I would trust you with my grandchildren? <laughs> and this is what we are doing in public school. We think that if we go and we get 10 books, 20 books, honey, it would never stop. I'm not God. You're not God. We can't read all of these books. The librarians don't know what's in them for heaven's sakes. Mm -hmm. Okay. But let's just say we were God for the day and every one of those with profanity and sex was removed. Would that straighten up a school system who has done since the late 1800s exactly what they set out to do from the very beginning? Mm -hmm. You see, we need to get the kids out. That's not popular. Nobody wants to do that but it's the only thing that's gonna protect our children is getting them out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the teachers unions and the organizations that came out of the uh, newly created Department of Education back in 70, what, 77, when the Department of Education under Jim, Jimmy Carter Jimmy came Carter. into play. Yeah. Um, when that came to play, when that became a national institution, it empowered the very worst people in the teaching profession in a, in a very, very big way. And it became politicized. It became a big moneymaker. And I know a lot of teachers uh, that are good, good people, but most of them have been sucked into the system because they've been told that this is the way it has to be. And in fact, what they're teaching is things that are totally the opposite of what we should be teaching our children. Yeah. And it, it you know, and also with the teachers or your board of education, my dad was on the board of education for years in his local county. 
and they have to take so many, uh, I don't know if this is the word for it, but basically continuing education mm -hmm. when you're on the board or you're in about any job now. And so my dad was conservative and he would go away, you know, they would have nice meetings where they wine and dine them, you know, they might be flown to Dallas or wherever. And when he would come back, he would be so excited telling me about these new changes or new agendas or whatever. And we would spend hours till I could explain to him that this was, you know, either America 2000, you know, which was became Global 2000 or No Child Left Behind, you know, all these different programs, Race to the Top, then Common Core, all these things they bring in with such a pretty picture with trained facilitators and then good people that you know, they accept these things and they bring them back to their communities. So that's how a lot of this happens. And with the teachers, they have to have all these continuing education credits. And I used to be naive enough to think that if you were a math teacher and you were taking continuing education, that you were learning better ways maybe to teach math. Mm -hmm. But that's not what you're learning. You know, yeah. you're learning about the diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, social justice and yes. this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you want to, we can, where I would like to move is the obscenities we could talk about forever and ever and ever and ever. But my contention is if you took out all the obscenities and all the profanities, and I have to tell you, I have one children's book that has a Simon and Schuster children's publishing division with over 1300 F words and 900 other extreme profanities. And those 2,000 words are the nicest part of the book. Wow. I always like to get that across because that should show you with obscenity. But even if you threw out all sex and profanity, what about the ideology that your children are receiving? And this is starting at birth with board books now for babies. A board book for those who maybe haven't had children, these are your little cardboard books that they can chew on or you can wipe off. And, you know, they might have 50 words in the whole book, if that. So one of those board books that you could buy for your infant to read to them is on Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So one of the two-page spread has her holding up the Supreme Court. And it says, Ruth is strong. Now, mind you, of course, an infant, but any of your young toddlers, they don't have any factors to base anything about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. All these things do is if they have listened to a book being read to them by a particular person, somehow they believe, well, that person is good. You see, there's nothing in there about what she may have done or not done. There's no understanding whatsoever. But now you have dozens and dozens and dozens of books on Ruth Bader Ginsburg for little tiny children. Now, do I object to books about a person, whether they're left or right? Not necessarily, but can we have a little bit of truth? Because yeah. what you're doing to kids as we get into the preschool books, they are building an affinity with whoever the protagonist is in the story. 
Okay, just as if you watch a movie and you were watching Escape from Alcatraz, you were rooting for the prisoners. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. It works the same way. Do not think that it does not. So they have that affinity, and then the book is ripe with omissions. Mm -hmm. And of course, omissions are harder to see because they're not there. But leaving out those facts, you're able to shape a child to the third thing, which is the takeaway. What is your child's takeaway when they finish reading these books? And that's what we have to really, really consider. A book isn't great just because there's no sex or profanity. Mm -hmm. It is shaping your baby's worldview. Well, I saw one, and I um, almost put it on my announcement, but it was called Woke Baby. Yes, and it's a board that. book. Have you yes. seen that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a board book for a yeah. baby called Woke Baby. I This is the kind of stuff that uh, it, it defies description because it's, mm -hmm. in our mind, so over the top that it's part of the culture now. Yeah. It, it is. And uh, let me see if I can read. I can't see very good anymore. But um, here's one, Race Cars. Race Cars is a children's book about life privilege. It says, we've always given white cars the fastest tires and the most powerful engines they roared. How could a black car have won? As the cars continue racing through the magical forest, the black cars are always stopped but not the white ones. Various obstacles make it near impossible for a black car to win. Unbelievable. Okay. This is, oh, I mean, that's just one. I have, mm -hmm. I've done presentations where I've done 50 slides just on the same things for little kids. What they do about white privilege, you know, the critical race theory, what they do about the transgender, and all of this was gradual. And you see, people didn't necessarily notice these things. Um, many years ago, I started noticing a pattern. And I used to laugh and say I could be a rich woman writing these kids' books. They were all the same. The message was Dan likes apples. Sally likes apples. You know, and you have a beautiful illustrated picture of Dan eating his apple and Sally eating her apple and Johnny eating his apple on the next page. And then all of a sudden, you have a page that might not look as pretty and you have George and he's eating a pineapple. All right. And so it's like horror. See, he's different. Hmm. But by the end of the book, it isn't a you know, people misinterpreted this. It wasn't so that you would understand that we're all different and that's okay. It was at the end, the person who was different was always better, wiser, and we needed to learn how to go along and merge with that, which was laying the foundation for transgender or any kind of deviancy. You see, so it looked innocent, but it wasn't. And the intent was not innocent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that make, makes sense. The, um, you, you mentioned in, in um, uh, different uh, writings that you've done, 
how uh, children depression and different moods and things like that are actually built into this system. Could you kind of uh, get into some of the details on, on how they are using our moods and, and our attitudes as a tool to uh, sell this new age nonsense? Okay, I'm not sure which article you're you're referring to, but but it is a behavior modification. Mm-hmm. And when you have to focus on yourself, see everybody has to become a victim. Right. You have right. to become a victim, and that is your badge of honor. And uh, you know, I'm not sure I'm not sure where you wanted to go with that, what type of book. You know, if you want to refresh me, and I'll see where you're going with that. Well, and, and it was a, a, b- a book. The little boy was uh, a little boy was sitting there, uh, so confused because he didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to uh, perceive the world. We're creating this kind of confusion, okay. so that uh, then they can go in. It's 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 basically it's MK Ultra. It, it it really is and I know I know you probably don't know a lot about that but I we've done yeah. programs on MK Ultra right. the CIA program yeah. mm-hmm. to break down the human being to literally destroy their personality so they can bring back multiple personalities and therein they can control that person that's kind of the the Manchurian candidate as it were mm-hmm. and at the very least, it's cognitive dissonance for these kids. See, you can't have a pretty little girl that you've always said, oh, you're my pretty little princess or whatever. And all of a sudden she goes to daycare or nursery school and she is taught and read these picture books over and over and over. She might be a boy or she might be neither or she might be both. Now, how do you how do you handle all of these things when nothing is concrete or stable in their life? See, I've always said the thing that I love about God is he says, I am the Lord, I change not. There is not a new set of rules every day when you get up. Math was that way. There was one right answer, and Mm -hmm. now they're trying to change that, (laughs) okay? Mm -hmm. But the kids cannot survive when you keep splitting them. Every time they think they know something, it's twisted. Mm -hmm. And so pretty soon, it's anything goes. Why does anything matter? Look at the decisions these kids are making. So let's go, let's say an eight-year-old and they go to school and the teacher is teaching about lesbians, okay? And somebody says, what is a lesbian? And she said, well, that is females who prefer other females. Well, who does an eight-year-old girl prefer? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, okay. Sure. So now you've already put in my head, I'm a lesbian, right? (laughs) 
Okay, and this is how it works. You've got to think these are children. These are not adults that you're playing with. Mm -hmm. This is what makes me angry. You're playing with children. Now, all of a sudden, they go through puberty and they start, you know, looking at boys. And do you think that they, they, it goes through their head, well, I'm not a lesbian? No, it's I must be bi. Mm. And this is what the teachers are hearing. You talk to them and they'll be dealing with elementary school kids and you'd be surprised how many say that they are bisexual. Well, now it's not even proper to say you're bisexual because if you say you're bisexual, you're establishing that there's only two genders, which contradicts what you just said a little bit ago about there being 70 some, right? Mm -hmm. So now you're pansexual. But this is how you play with kids. I... I use a lot of illustrations. I talk about when my son was a little boy and my uncle gave him $5 for his birthday. It was a $5 bill. And so my dad said to him, I'll give you two monies for that. Two $1 bills, you know, mm -hmm. trying to mm -hmm. teach him and, and, and mess with him and everything. He was being funny at the same time. But see, a child doesn't know. Where does their understanding come from? Mm -hmm. Sure. And we refuse to think. You know, nobody wants to read a book anymore. Nobody wants to read an article anymore. They're too long. They're too long. They're too long. When I first wrote my book, that was the first thing I heard. Can you condense it to 25 pages? Oh, wow. <laughs> no yeah, way. Gonna, yeah. I'm going to take all of those years, all of those books, and I'm going to sum it down to 25 pages that are double-spaced in a, a size 20 font, okay? Mm -hmm. And then you're going to know everything that I've learned over the years. Mm -hmm. And we want something. If we want an education, if we want to learn about something, we think we can do it in five minutes. I think we should talk about some of these books for little children. Okay, um, I'm this is this is basically exactly what I wanna I, I want you to do is is elaborate in ways that people can understand why we need to change the whole dynamic and start homeschooling all of our children. Get them out of the process. Um, if I had young children today, there's no question. I wouldn't put them in public education. Yes. Uh, they're learning all the wrong things. And the fact is, is that, uh, yes, there are some schools that try to do a better job than others. But when you're part of this big system, there's no way that you're going to separate yourself from it. That's exactly right. And if you are a math teacher and you strictly teach math as you should, how can you do that? How can you teach fifth grade math the way you want to when they really have not mastered first, second, third, and fourth before they get to you? Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. see? And even though you may be the best teacher in the whole wide world, what are the kids getting in those other classrooms? Right, right. You know, so we have to think about that. But here's, I'll just go through a few of these books with you. Okay, okay. here's one. I'm not a girl. Nobody seems to understand that Hannah is not a girl. And you know what? The author of this book, Maddox Lyons, 
is a 12-year-old transgender boy who does advocacy and outreach with various LGBTQ organizations. See, all of these mm. publishing companies, if you go and you look at their uh, criteria for submission, you're going to understand exactly what they're looking for. And I guarantee you, if you write a nice children's book, nobody's going to look at it mm -hmm. of your major publishing companies, okay? Because mm -hmm. they have to have diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, here's one. Something happened in our town is about the shooting of a black man by a policeman. The page reads, was the man that got shot dangerous, said Emma. No, her mother said, shooting him was a mistake. It was a mistake that's part of a pattern. But this pattern is being nice to white people and mean to black people. It's an <laughs> unfair practice. And see, this is a book for four to eight. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I know which book. And it, uh, he was shot by an off-duty policeman uh, that thought he, he a coat hanger was a gun. Well, that was I am Alfonso Jones. That's for that's for your older children. No, okay. Yes, okay. that one. And and yes, it's always a story like that. Mm -hmm. That the policeman, you know, uh, the kid had a toy water gun mm -hmm. or something, and the policeman shot him because, you know, just because he was black and they are white. And those books are numerous. What is a kid to think? Yeah. Yeah. Now, well, and, the, the, and, and, and Debbie, the, 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 the bottom line on that, I mean, if you look at the statistics, there are more black on black crimes yeah. than uh, by a long shot. And there are more black on white crimes by a long shot than there are white on black crimes. And that includes police departments because mm -hmm. uh so many of the police departments now are mostly minority in many of the bigger cities. Yes. Yeah. Um, but let's go to, let's go back to accelerated reader for a minute that a lot of people use in schools to find their child's reading level and adjust books accordingly, so to speak. There are 31 books listed as the social issue on the accelerated website that says police brutality and corruption, which means that that is one of the themes in those 31 books. Mm -hmm. And it's always, you know, I am Alfonso Jones that you were just talking about where, where the boy was buying a suit and that off-duty cop, I mean, I'll tell you what, it happens to me all the time, mis mistaking a coat hanger for a gun. You know? <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I, I mean, it's absurd. But when you start reading that book, it isn't just about the police brutality or corruption. I mean, they make sure they introduce Black Lives Matter, climate change, mm -hmm. any of these things. It's almost as if these authors today are given a vocabulary list. And you're more likely to get that book published if you could cover each one of those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes and sense. That is, yeah, that's a pattern I noticed decades ago. I said it was like you were being given a spelling list, you know, and as long as you use those, I used to watch books 
and it would have things introduced like that that were totally out of context. And I thought, oh, they got paid to introduce that one or else the editor, you know, encouraged to have that written in, one of the two. Well, and you bring up some um, really interesting things because uh, part of this re-education, this indoctrination, it's it's uh, it involves uh, sex. It involves uh, pedophilia. It involves uh, climate change. It involves uh, police brutality. I mean, all these things that are part of this so-called woke culture, which is very anti-white Christian. Now, let's just say it the way it is. Yeah. Very anti-white Christian are what are now in so many of these children's books. Yes. There's almost always an issue or a reason why a book was, was published. One of the issues I would like to bring up is little children again. I guess because I have 15 grandchildren, this is very, very dear to my heart. But think about it. When you were a child, what did you do? You played with your friends, whatever chores you were required to do at home, you did, mumbling or not mumbling about it, grumbling. Um, but you you played, you thought about when you got to go do something or maybe what you were gonna get for your birthday. What are the little kids thinking about today? Mm -hmm. Climate change racism, social justice issues, Harvey Milk. Think about Greta Thunberg and think about, there was a book, there's dozens and dozens. I, when I do presentations, I show dozens of books about her. Um, but one of the books that's very popular is Our House is on Fire, which of course came from her Davos speech. And I want to read you just a little bit from that book. Mm -hmm. Then one day Greta's teacher talked to the class about the climate, how our planet is getting warmer, about how the polar ice is melting and animals' lives are threatened, and ours too. And then it talks about, you know, she starts reading about it and so on. And then she said she barely ate or spoke while she's thinking about all this. There might not be a world to live in when she grows up. What use is school without a future? What can I do? And then, of course, the classic line, if parents won't act to save the planet, children will. And then they quote from her Davos speech, I don't want you to be hopeful. I want you to panic. I want you to feel the fear I feel every day. I want you to act as if the house is on fire because it is. And of course, in the background of these beautifully illustrated picture books for four to eight-year-old kids, you have all of the kids marching with their signs. Now, I want to read to you some of these signs. Keep the oil in the ground. Raise your voices, not the sea level. Planet Earth first. Stop climate crime. Coal kills. The water is rising. So are we. Don't burn my future. Planet over profit. Love your mother, Earth. Denial is not a policy. There is no plan B. 
These are the types. This one is climate change, and everybody's you know familiar with Greta. But all of the books for the little kids are going in these same avenues. And then the kids are already created to be social justice warriors. They have learned in second grade, first and second grade, they start learning about persuasive writing, how to use emotional words to get their way, to get what they want. So now you present racism, climate change, all these different things, and the kids insists now that they have to become social justice warriors. Well, what are they doing? They don't have any knowledge of history. Mm-hmm. They don't have any knowledge of economics. Or they science. don't know math. Mm-hmm. They can't read. And in mm-hmm. science, so-called today, okay, but yeah, they have no understanding whatsoever, but they're fighters. And the parents are so proud because they get their pictures in the paper of little Johnny out there fighting whatever with no understanding and and i don't know that one is just dear to my heart if you want to ask a further question on that i mean there's thousands no, of I, I, like it absolutely this is exactly what i want to discuss today because this is the kind of research that people don't think about unless we bring it up um, you know you look at what these kids are learning you're right they are being taught to their, their, to parrot what uh, older people are telling them to parrot. And so yeah. many of the school teachers today are incredibly liberal. Uh, you know, many of them are trained in the Frankfurt School yes. ideas of Marxism. And uh, so they're teaching things to young people as a, a way of indoctrinating to make them tools of what they plan to do to the to the world, to the country, to the world, yes. and it's it's criminal. It really is. Well, and it's it, it, you go back to the cognitive dissonance here. Okay, you know, you're my daddy, and you tell me that boys are boys and girls are girls. Okay, or that Greta might not be a hundred percent correct here. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I go into my elementary class and these things come up and I say, my daddy says, now what do you think is going to happen to me? Do you think it's going to be just the children that ostracize me? They don't know what to do. They're going to watch the teacher's countenance. And whether she says something or whether she just frowns at me severely, whatever, that's the cue the other kids are going to take. Now, do you think that I'm going to bring those things up ever again? And do you think that if you're my daddy, I'm going to have the same respect for you when I've just been shown how stupid you are? Mm -hmm. See, this is what you're doing. You're creating that split in families. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm just shooting from the hip here. I want, I want to read you another little book that has just mesmerized me, the description. Okay. Um, there's a little book called Calvin. Calvin has always been a boy, even if the world sees him as a girl. He knows who he is in his heart and in his mind, but he hasn't yet told his family. Finally, he can wait no longer. 
I'm not a girl, he tells his family. And they're showing a picture of a very young boy. I'm assuming he's probably going into kindergarten. I'm a boy, a boy in my heart and in my brain. Quick to support him, his loving family takes Calvin shopping for the swim trunks he's always wanted and back to school clothes and a new haircut that helps him look and feel like the boy he's always known himself to be. Do you always listen to your little child? Mm -hmm. I heard uh, I heard J.P. Sears today. He was saying that, do you listen to your three-year-old when they say, I can swim? <laughs> yeah. He said, so you, you throw them in the, in the deep end, you know? And, you know, we have to be realistic. We have to start identifying and calling these things for, for what they are. Now, you can look at this from a parental standpoint, okay? If you had a child and you had them all prepared for school, your little girl, right? You'd bought all her wardrobe and her, her pink backpack and all these different things. And today she says, Daddy, I want you to know I'm really a boy. And you say, oh, I didn't know. Let's go shopping. Yeah, exactly. And everybody has the money to go rebuy all of those things, too. And you're going to take your little girl, and you're going to now just put swim trunks on her, not a whole bathing suit, right? You know, do people think when they read these? But the parents are being conditioned by these preschool books as much as the little children are. See, it's a double whammy. You're not, you know, for example, when they wrote the book, uh, Jill Biden wrote the book, Joey, about Joe Biden when he was a little boy. It came out, what, four or five months before the election. Do you think that the four year, four to eight-year-old kids that this was meant for were going to go out and vote? <laughs> no, but it would sure help the parents, wouldn't it? Yes, it would because they're not thinking because all of the information is omitted and only the words and the picture I want to leave in your mind is given. We have to do better. These books are written, um, even the books for young adults, 99% of every fiction book on accelerated reader is written below a ninth to 12th grade reading level. Mm -hmm. 48 of those books are written on a first grade reading level. This should concern somebody. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why it doesn't. Well, let's talk about that because that's a big deal. You actually quantify and show through some charts that you include how we've reduced the reading level so much in the last, well, I think you cover a period of about, what, 10 or 12 years, but in fact, it, it's been going on for 100 years. Yeah, okay, well, I can throw out a good illustration. Many people today are familiar with the boxcar children. Okay, many parents, there are probably 150 or better now in that series, but the actual author, Gertrude Chandler Warner, only wrote the first 19. She was a teacher in the early 1900s. And in 1924, she actually wrote The Boxcar Children. As a teacher, she would have been very much aware 
of what those children could read, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, this book had words such as rapturous, triumphantly, harmoniously, piazzas, delicatessen, okay? Now, what happened in the 30s when they completely threw out phonics and they had a controlled vocabulary? Those words weren't the words that you learned to recognize. So in 1942, the book was rewritten into the boxcar children book that the parents see now. And of course, none of those words are in it, okay? It had to match the controlled vocabulary. Now, am I making that up? Well, I don't have the original edition of the 1942 one, but I do have one of the older of the second book in the series, Surprise Island. And it has in the back of the book, it tells you flat out, it's a controlled vocabulary. And any words that weren't in that controlled vocabulary is defined by context in the sentence. Okay? Mm. And then it goes on and says that those words are repeated at least three times. That was the mantra, you know, for you to be able mm -hmm. to, to recognize that word. Okay? But it said that children with the, the understanding of a basic second grade basal reader, which meant the controlled vocabulary, could read that book with ease. That's what it says in that book. Now that book is listed on Accelerated Reader at a fourth grade second month, I think. It's over mm. fourth grade, okay? And that dumbed down book with a controlled vocabulary, and I'm not saying the book is bad. I'm just saying it was mm -hmm. dumbed down with a controlled vocabulary. Okay, now they have a graphic novel of Surprise Island. For people who don't understand graphic novel and think that means an adult sexual thing, it doesn't. What it means is it's a comic book. It's a comic book. So okay. now we have a comic book version of Surprise Island that's at a second grade eight month reading level, which is above what the original dumbed down book was. Mm. And it has 20,000 fewer words. Wow. You see, so that gives an illustration of what I'm talking about when I'm talking about these reading levels. Now, are they legitimate? As I continue in these series, I will have a whole article on the legitimacy and validity or invalidity of these reading levels, such as Lexile or Accelerated Reader. Did you read Faulkner when you were in school or college? William uh, Faulkner? Yeah, I... I believe I did. Yeah, William Faulkner. Yeah, I believe I did. Okay. And mm -hmm. if, if, you know, and if anybody listening did, you remember the pain at the very beginning until you understand how to read Faulkner. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I want to tell you something. It is listed on Accelerated Reader as a fourth grade, fourth month reading level for upper grade interest levels. Now I'm going to show on the screen a lower grade, fourth grade, fourth month reading level. Okay. Can you see that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, this is a little picture book with very few words. And it's about Donovan preparing for the wedding of his two mothers that day. Oh. Okay, mm -hmm. so I try to analyze how in the world 
you know, they, they base it on word length or word strength, you know, uh, all these different things is how they make their algorithm. So all I can figure is Donovan in this book talks like your children talked when they were that age. I went to Mamaw's house and we had cookies. And then after we had cookies, we went outside and we played and then we did this and we did that. And we did the other thing. And then finally she let me go to bed and I got to sleep in the big room and everything. And you see the sentence was, you know, 80 words. So there's mm -hmm. one sentence in there that is 85 words. So wow. does that factor into how they come up with this reading level? <laughs> see, we have to understand mm -hmm. that. If I wrote a book, and it's a picture book, and we have the two page, let's have a board book. Left side of the page, I have number one, number one, and then I have the word O-N-E. On the next page, I have one cat with a picture of a cat, and that's all, just the picture of the cat, but there's one of them, okay? The next page is two, and I go all the way through 10 in my board book. Would a child have to be able to read at all to be True. able to read that book back to you? Yeah. True. No. You, you okay. wouldn't. Mm -hmm. However, if I wrote another book in my series, the next one is one rhinoceros. Mm -hmm. All right. So mm -hmm. instead of the word C-A-T, now I have rhinoceros. Which book is going to have a higher reading level? Got it. But you didn't have to know how to read either one of them. Sure, because it's a picture. So these parents have to stop relying on these trumped up reading level systems. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. When you were a child, you picked a book off of the shelf. If it was too difficult for you, but you really wanted to read it, you kept plowing through it, or if you wanted to understand words, vocabulary is different. You don't have that vocabulary base at that very young age. You might go and get a dictionary if you really wanted to know, or you might just put that book aside and pick another one. Nobody had to tell you, Dan, you know, you are on a third grade, fourth month reading level. These are the books you need to read. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't okay. think we would have ever read books. No. And and you're right. That was the way we did it. We sat down with a book and had a dictionary on on the other side. And when we ran into a word we did not understand, we did not know, we looked it up. And that's yeah. how we expanded our vocabulary. And I had an eighth grade teacher that always said, when you're marching to the dictionary to look up that one word, read the definition before and after also. So you're actually gleaning three words when you when you go to the dictionary. And I, you know, I always thought that was great. But when you go to that dictionary, you take the time to do that and you read that, you tend to remember that. Mm -hmm. But I've found as I've got older, it could be old age, I'm not making a doctrine off of this, but I have noticed that if I look it up in a dictionary, I remember it. If mm -hmm. I just Google it right then, it's in and out. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with ebooks. 
you know, I have read thousands of books over the years. And I mean, I used to just buy them all. I go to every book sale. I have a whole book room with thousands of children's books down there. But the books are coming out so fast and furiously. And somebody will ask about this book or that book. And if I can download it from my library as an ebook for free, then I will do that. But you do not have the memory of what you read. See, in the old days, when you're looking at a page, I could remember which side of the page something was on. If you would have said, oh, where was that about the convertible? Okay, or a particular person. I knew about where that book was and about where it was located on the page and the side. You cannot do that with an ebook. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, every page, every page is the same. So I think we're dumbing ourselves down in that way also. Mm-hmm. Well, and I agree. And and let's look at how our our whole culture has been rewriting history. A lot of the books, see. I'm a big believer. If you like, if you want to read something, buy the book and then buy it as a physical book and put it in your library. And that way, when they go to change it and or to eliminate it, you've got it. Right. And they can't change that. The only way they can destroy that is if they burn it, if they come and get all your books. Right, right. Um, I think this would be a good time to bring up ebooks, though. Okay, good. Um, you see, a child with a library card, all they have to do is go on their phone or their iPad or Kindle or whatever the device they have, enter their library card, and they can download any of these books instantly. Mm-hmm. Typically, if you go into your library, your your young adult section, you know, you are going to see X number of books. And there's going to be some really bad ones there. But if you go on to what's available as an ebook, you know, that number grows exponentially. Okay, so there's a lot of bad stuff on there. So you have your children in the back seat, and you're driving to grandma's house. And you're so happy because they're being quiet and they're reading on their device, okay? Because they've downloaded these books. You don't know what they are reading. When all the other kids in town are running around at a party on Friday night and your child is already in their jammies in bed reading, you are so proud. But one of the things that people are missing, many of these books today are audio books. They are available as audio ebooks and they're downloaded instantly. I was naive enough. I had already done this probably close to 30 years and still thought that some of these books that the profanities would be bleeped out of the audio. So I had, I downloaded Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist because I knew that they have uh, over 275 F words alone. Mm-hmm. And that one page of that book has 26 F words. Wow. So I was still really, I mean, I thought, no, those, you know, they're going to deal with them some other way. No. 
And I play that. When I do presentations, I play the first five on the page because there's mm-hmm. just other people are just utter dumbstruck in how those words are used and with such great emphasis. But I'm going to get darker here. If all of those profanities are in the books, the sex scenes that I haven't mentioned here that are nothing a normal human being could even conceive, those are read to the children too. It is like free phone sex. Mm. They're listening to these and then of course they can back it up and listen again and again and again and again. This is a very, very big problem. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you still have schools, even going back to the profanity, you have schools that have up posters that supposedly will not condone profanity. But it was okay while the children were reading the books silently. But now we know they're hearing them over and over and over. If you hung around with me all the time and every other word out of my mouth was an F word, I guarantee you pretty soon it starts coming into your thoughts even before you start verbalizing it. And then if that continues over and over and we're just best buddies, pretty soon you're going to be speaking that same way. Let's be real. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, Who are these children's editors that are working for these publishers? When you have Brave Girl, a book about a communist, Clara Lemlick, and in the book it says, and this this could have happened. I'm not sitting there saying it doesn't. My issue is this is a book for four to nine-year-old kids. And it says in there, the police arrested her 17 times. They broke six of her ribs. Is that Mm -hmm. what you're going to read to your four-year-old before they go to sleep? Right, right. The pandemic, when the pandemic hit, we were on uh, one of my husband's business trips. And and I sat there in the room and I I worked and made charts the whole day until I just couldn't do it anymore. 161 books on mask wearing for little children. Mm -hmm. See, this was right after all of this started. These books were already ready to come Mm -hmm. out. And every one of them had the same message. You know, if you don't do this, basically, you're going to kill grandma. Mm -hmm. So back to what I was starting to say with Greta, these kids where you were out playing and thinking who you were going to find to play baseball with you today. These kids are thinking about, oh, my gosh, if I don't solve climate change and racism and critical race theory, all these different things, if I don't solve them or or we're going to blow up, you know, nuclear uh, disaster, whatever, it's going to be all my fault. Mm-hmm. And so you wonder why they don't do drugs. And this is one of the ones I say, well, give them Jesus, because elsewise you might as well give them the drugs yourself. Mm-hmm. To get them out of their pain. These children are in pain, Dan. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I fully agree because that's the way the system is designed. 
And, um, you know, what you're talking about with the climate change and all the other issues, it is painfully obvious that all of these things have been in the works for so long. You mentioned all the mask wearing uh, books that were available when the pandemic first started. Well, we refer to it in my circles as a plandemic because it was obvious that it was planned. Mm -hmm. The entire thing was planned. It's a way to make the human race more subservient to a ruling elite that are the ones that are going to tell us what we need to do. Just simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that was the point of my, my actually doing that article was, really, you think these publishers just came up with this and, you know, and they were making sure that all these books were churned out? No, it was strategic. Mm -hmm. It was strategic to develop that mindset, you know, and you had to wash your hands for an exact amount of seconds. And, you know, they have songs for all of this. And this is all the kids think about, you know, how could you have existed if instead of looking for who was going to play baseball with you today or kick the can or whatever it was. This was what was on your mind. And you turn the TV on and this is what you hear. And by the way, Dan, you might be Danielle. Yeah, 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 exactly. Now you've really got some problems. Mm -hmm. Well, this is, uh, it, it is so obvious to people who are, you know, let's say tuned in on what's been happening over the last hundred years. It's all, it all, it all works together. In other words, all the dots do connect. And most people only want to look at a small segment of the big picture. But when you start to pull all these pieces together, there is absolutely not one dot that doesn't connect all the others. I am so glad you, I'm so glad you said that, you know, so many times it's, you know, you have so many important topics that you deal with on your program. And a lot of times people look at oh, children's books, you know, well, I've seen a couple of the board meetings, you know, what do I need to know about that? I never pretend that children's books is the end all, but I don't think that people realize the role it has played in shaping the ideas of the adults that you're dealing with. If a book was written in 1972 that shaped these adults' worldview, I mean, think about it. They're, they're, uh, if it was written in 72, they're 51 plus however old they were at the time they read it. Mm-hmm. Okay, these are our leaders of our community. They were shaped. They were molded. We didn't come up with these ideas all by ourselves. We have a lot of stuff to learn, but we have a lot of stuff to unlearn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. It, it's more, I think, more important that we expose the false learning, and that way maybe we can learn the truth. Yes. It's just yeah. pretty simple. We, 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 we are doing that, and that's why you're here. But um, understand that we've uh, covered things like human trafficking, that uh, we've been covering that subject for, yes. I think the first program I did on that had to be eight years ago. Now, all of a sudden, after 
this uh, recent film that yeah. uh, uh, came out about human trafficking. Now they're starting to talk about it, and we're starting to understand how much there is of the human trafficking. And so many people didn't even want to admit it. I, I mean, I hate to say it, but uh, my, in my own family that happened. Uh, they, they didn't even want, they saw oh, that's nonsense. There's, there's no such thing. Human trafficking and slavery today is at the highest level that it has ever been, including the times when slavery was considered legal. Yes. Yeah, it is. It, it's hard for me to fathom that people don't think that this really, really happens. And it happens in, you know, the movie was limited. You know, you only have a couple of hours, but but trafficking happens in so many different ways. You have, I because I know I've even read in, in local newspapers, you know, you will have a mom that's on drugs. Mm-hmm. So she gives her 10-year-old for her latest fix. Mm-hmm. This is this is trafficking. And the you know, and we have to go further than that and think about, okay, we rescue them. Yes, that's that's number one. You have to rescue them. But then what do you do? That rescue isn't the end all. Right. And and what scars do they have? What scars do they have that will never, ever be healed? Yes. Um, Opal Singleton has million kids in California. Wonderful lady. And she has excellent programs. And, you know, one of the things that I remember her talking about was that uh, when you had the, the, the pimps with these girls that are being trafficked, one of the things they would have them do was, you know, they would have them steal a lot. Okay. Because then they developed a record. Okay. So now they, you know, have their police record, but it was always doing mailboxes, things out of mailboxes, Mm. because now that's federal crime. Mm -hmm. So when you rescue these people out of this, Now they've got a rap sheet with even federal crimes. So what do you do? So some of the states, you know, and I don't remember this exactly, you know, somebody will have to look this up, but some of the states wanted to purge their records, you know, and you have to think about that. Is that really a good thing? Or will that open up a whole new can of worms? Mm -hmm. You see, these are complicated issues. That's just first step getting them out. But One of the things, you know, I always take everything back to kids' books. When you have these kids that are conditioned through books, through movies, through school curricula, through all these different things, and they are nothing more than a piece of meat from the time they're just little children, Mm -hmm. even if they believe they're consenting to these things, which a minor cannot consent, by the way. But these kids are led to believe that these are their choices. Mm-hmm. You know, whether they're doing it with their peers or whether they're doing it with older people or or whatever. So look at the double guilt. Look at that double guilt. And what I'm trying to say is if you're kidnapped out of your mommy's grocery carts, That wasn't your fault. 
Mm-hmm. How do you handle it when you did all of these things willingly because you thought that was normal and that's what you were supposed to do? Mm-hmm. And that's it's, it's a big one that we need to ponder. Well, you know, um, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine that um, uh, an amazing lady. Her name is Juliet Angle. And if you, if you do want to go listen to some of the pr- previous programs we've done, uh, type that name in, uh, Juliet Angle. I did uh, that. <laughs> she is the uh, she is a former uh, MK Ultra mm-hmm. sex magic victim herself. Her family, who were CIA, including her mm-hmm. uncles and her grandfather and her mother and father were CIA, and they s- sold her into yeah. the sex magic program when she was only six years old. Yes. And uh, she escaped. And as a result of that, she ended up um, in Russia helping mm-hmm. to uh, liberate something like 70,000 uh, people who were sold into the uh, human trafficking and into the sex slave market. And uh, she's somebody you really need to know because you can you can work together. Uh, did Are you familiar with the book Sparky? You know, after we talked that first time, Mm -hmm. I think I read Sparky years ago. She Mm -hmm. must have been on a show. And because some of the things you said, I started realizing, oh, I've listened to her. So I started listening to an interview on another show. And then I realized, yes, I had listened to her because the angel program she had in Russia. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had I was familiar with hearing her speak about that years ago on some talk show. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yes, and then I've listened to one of your programs to the last one you did with her this past mm-hmm. week. Okay, good, good. Well, mm-hmm. uh, the the thing is, we're talking about this, but it's absolutely true. All these all these things are connected together, and it is. Um, let's just get right down to it. Uh, we we're looking at people who have been planning a major die-off of the human race for a very, very long time. This is part of a eugenics program that started, uh, it it was there before Margaret Sanger, but she was certainly one of the big promoters of it. And, uh, you know, I, I remember when I was a young person hearing how they were going to be using homosexuality mm-hmm. as a way to increase birth control. Mm-hmm. It was a way that uh, they would stop uh, human mm-hmm. birth. And uh, it looks to me like they've done a pretty good job in that regard, haven't they? And that is that your research as well, that that's part of this? I always thought that same thing, but now you have to realize they are all hiring surrogates. They're buying an egg Mm -hmm. and then they're hiring an oven. They don't want it to be the same one now because then they're not likely somebody might want to keep the baby. Mm -hmm. So this is how it's done. So you see how many people are involved in them having children. And this is a very, very big thing now. And in fact, this was an article that, or a subject that really got to me. And so I have a whole chapter in my book 
just on the donor offspring children because there's a whole category in children's material now, children's books, fiction, mm. about if you were a donor offering child. And, you know, it's incredible. I mean, when you see how many books there are and most of them in the stories, you know, they have lesbian parents or homosexual parents and and um, incredible. We have to be thinking about these issues. We have to be thinking about these kids. These kids are in pain. Mm -hmm. You know, where in back in our day where people might have drank themselves to got rid of their sorrows. It's easier to get drugs today. And that's what these kids are doing. And they're dying or they're behind the wheel and killing an innocent child or parent. Mm -hmm. Well, in the fentanyl uh, craze right now, over 100,000 young people a, a year are dying from fentanyl overdoses, and yet we hardly even hear about it from the mainstream media. You know, we, we had uh, fewer people die from COVID in the same time frame mm -hmm. that died from fentanyl, and yet everything is about COVID. Well, but that subject leads into the border, okay? <laughs> and of course, children's books have to deal with that and all of your illegals. Of course, they are not called illegals, you know, they're either unhoused or undocumented or, you know, some of, some of the new terminology. But it is very interesting. Any issue that you've probably ever dealt with on your program mm -hmm. is introduced the politically correct determinant in kids' books. Now, how they do it with the people coming over the border and all the illegals is usually these are juvenile or young adult books. They build up a relationship with this illegal child. Okay. Mm -hmm. And of course, the family is the best family. They work the hardest. They're the smartest. The child might even be the valedictorian of her class. But now all of a sudden it is being exposed and they could be deported. Mm -hmm. And this is how this is the storyline. And so by the end, you realize, oh, we've got to stop that from happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And these things, they're really not subtle once you know what you're looking for. And what happens with parents? They'll say, Sally, Sally, did you read that book? And if Sally says, no, she didn't read that book, shoot, everything's okay then. Mm. And they don't realize that one book after another, after another, after another reinforce, reinforces either one or all of these ideas. Debbie, how many of the children's books, and I'm talking the, the uh, fiction books, uh, how many of the children's books in a percentage uh, are part of this indoctrination? What what percentage do you think are that compared to legitimate, good old-fashioned uh, fiction for entertainment? What is being pushed would be a high percentage of the indoctrination. 
But where you hear the word censorship every day of the week now, okay, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you have to realize all of these books are still available. So if there was a nice book that you remember when you were a child, it's still out there. Okay, so it would be hard to say there's a percentage. What happens is there's book selection. Your librarian might be pretty conservative and not have all these people breathing down their throats. And the selections might be things that you approve of 90% of them. Okay, it, it's the selection. And when they're screaming, Every time a parent brings up one of these trashy, trashy books, it's always, we're censors, we're bigots, we're Nazis, mm -hmm. we're Christians, you know, which mm -hmm. is supposed to be, be equated with ignorance. Stupidity. Right, the ultimate pejorative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, right. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't know where I was going with that, but... We, we have to think about that. It is book selection. You're not a censor for going to a school or anywhere and saying, I don't want this for my child. For heaven's sakes, if there was a math curriculum that you hated and you were a big math guy and you look at this and you say, you know, my child's not going to learn anything through this. You might go to the school board and say, we need a new math curriculum. You know, this one, you know, I'm uh, the best in the whole wide world, and I can tell you this is a piece of garbage. Nobody would ever dream of calling you a censor, even though you're talking about a, a book. They might disagree with you, but they wouldn't call you a censor. But, the, but their weapon that they have always used about books when somebody started noticing the content was to call you names. And even Christians melt. They think that is the ultimate persecution for somebody mm -hmm. to give you a name. Yeah. You know? yeah. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, if you're going to talk about a book, read it. Mm -hmm. Not just that passage. You need to read it. Mm -hmm. okay? That's true. Because That's true. The, first thing, the first thing that they're going to say to you is, well, Dan, I appreciate that, but have you read the whole book? And 99.9% .9 of the time, you're going to sit there and stammer and you say, well, no, but, you know, and then say, well, you see, you're taking it out of context. Well, what are you going to argue? I mean, yeah, you're not talk taking it out of context, but what are you going to argue? You haven't read the book. And so everybody looks at you like, yeah, right, Dan. Yeah, right. You know, Got and then it, yeah. nobody else will stand up and nobody wants to take the time that it takes to even read the books for your own children. Start with your own children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can't make a list, and I can tell you this. Everybody always wants me to make a good list or a bad list. If I made a list of bad books, I can tell you what I would have done when I was 12. That would have been my preferred reading list. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I'm the only one. Right. Right. No, that's the nature of a kid. Yes. Uh, yeah, they're yeah. they're going to do the thing that they're told not to do. Yes. That's just a human nature. Yeah, and you can't. The other thing is, whether you have a good list or a bad list, you can't read everything. Right. It takes time to analyze. Sometimes I can read some of these books. I mean, some of the books you can read in 20 minutes, but some take three or four or five hours. 
and you can read through it and you kind of get it. But I have to go back through the book and start removing the fluff and leaving the points that it actually stated. And when you start looking at that picture that way, wow, you see what the real message is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it takes a long time. It might take 20 hours to do that, where it's only taken three hours to read the book. Well, with so many of our young people functionally illiterate, they're, they're, they're becoming more and more uh, where they follow videos and devices and games and things that are visually stimulating, yeah. but that don't require them to have much for language skills. Um, let's talk about how that has been used to introduce so many young people to pornography. Yes. Yeah. The, but the only thing is, Dan, if your mommy catches you in her history that you've been into porn, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. But if you're reading or listening to the audiobooks of okay. porn, you are praised because you are a reader, and that's how they've done it. Got it. Mm -hmm. See, you get praised. Now you think about the cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. You see, everything is just pure confusion. Well, that's well said, because that's exactly what we talk about uh, in connecting so many of these dots. Part of the goal, the goal of globalism is to create so much confusion and uh, so much tension between different groups and different people and different ideas that we literally isolate everyone uh -huh. so that they're easy to conquer, they're easy to control. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what they're doing with children. Now, let's talk about the COVID thing. When they went back to school, and they made these uh, students sit six feet apart yes. and wear their little masks, and all, that was part of the program too, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. My friend always laughed and said, you know, because they'd have the little plexiglass things in front of each of their desks, and she said, you know that the COVID virus only works vertically, you know, because <laughs> you're right here by, you know, by the next desk beside you. Right. You know? And yeah, the, I mean, the kids, the kids were terrified. Mm -hmm. The kids were terrified. They were miserable. I mean, they had to be miserable. But after all, did you want to kill grandma? Now, yeah. if, you, if, if you lived with grandma and she beat you and stuff every day, you know, maybe you would purposely, you know, not wear your mask or, you know, or wash your hands for so many seconds. I don't know. But but yeah, and how much time did you have to dwell on this in school instead of teaching? Right. You see, this right. is what, I, what I've always said. You and I would agree that you want them to learn math and history and science and all, the, all these different things. But when you had to bring in bicycle safety and alcohol safety and suicide prevention and choking prevention and, you know, and drug prevention and all the social emotional learning, which there's thousands of those children's books do, okay, when do you have time to even teach those things? 
If you're an English teacher, how do you teach pronouns today? This is what I want to see. I want to see a new elementary school grammar book because I want to know how you're going to teach pronouns mm. when when half the people are theys. Mm-hmm. Right. And you have a little kid's book where two of the pronouns you can choose are tree and flower. <laughs> mm-hmm. How are you going to teach these things? We won't call anything for what it is. These, th- these things are ridiculous. I want to know if, if you are my daughter and today, you know, your birthday is tomorrow. You're going to be 18 and you tell me, I just want to tell you, mom, I'm, I'm really a guy. Well, do you have a few weeks or months before you're going to go sign up for the draft? <laughs> I love it. You know, I mean, if you tell me that you're a cat and I'm your teacher and I have to listen to you every time I ask a question, you purr or meow, you know, let's let's call it let's call it what it is. You know, if this school doesn't allow pets, you're not allowed here. You know, my dad is in a nursing home and you can bring in a dog if you, uh, you know, if you bring the papers from the vet that say, you know, that they've had this shot, this shot, this shot. So now you're going to take your child to to go to the nursing home to see their grandparents. Well, honey, if you're a cat, sorry, you know, unless we go to the vets, you're done. I I just read an article about and and this was a private uh, Christian uh, college somewhere in Texas, where a, uh, a professor that had been teaching biology for 20 plus years uh-huh. was just fired because he uh, started teaching students about the XY chromosome, yes. how that is determines your sex. Uh-huh. And he was just teaching basic biology. Right. And four of the politically correct students demanded that he be fired, and he was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, how do you argue with pure insanity? Mm-hmm. You see, up is now down, and you know, just Isaiah. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. No, that, that's um, and and this is uh, it's actually uh, going through the court system now, but um, they fired him after twenty years, and he was yeah. a fully tenured professor. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable, but it's it's maddening. It's maddening. Yes, it is. Yeah, and it's I think even worse is to know that these kids believe that they believe that, mm-hmm. and they hate America. You know, I mean, there's so many topics we could we could go into. No, um, Republican crazy. is one of the dirtiest words in children's books. I mean, it is so mocked. Christianity is so mocked. I have a whole chapter of that in my in my kids' books. I mean, it's you would never see that on Islam. Never. You never see that on Islam. Um, Israel is horrific in kids' books. Um, I mean, absolutely amazing how all of these issues are dealt with. You know, the issue of Islam, how that is dealt with in children's books. 
It's, it's absolutely incredible because nobody is allowed to actually discuss these books and ask further questions. Mm-hmm. You see, when I was 14, 15, or 16, and I knew everything, <laughs> you know, I, I had learned that America was absolutely terrible, okay? And my father, a veteran, I can remember standing in the living room and letting him know that. And he looked at me, he looked at me, he never raised his voice. He said, well, tell me, which country would you like to live in? Right. He said, now, I want you to think about it carefully because I'm going to buy you a ticket, but it's only one way. Mm -hmm. You see, he forced me to think. And I noticed during the pandemic, I had so many discussions with, with your cart people, you know, at the grocery stores and things. And they all hate America. They all prefer Marxism. But when I would ask them, well, what kind of a government do we have? They don't know. Mm-hmm. At the very best, you're going to get, they'll say, a democracy. And democracy. I'll say, no. And I'll sit there and I'll say, no, that's mob rule. You know, like Richard Mayberry mm-hmm. used to say, two wolves. That's Marxism. Yeah. Deciding what to have for lunch. And I said, we have a constitutional republic. They don't know what kind of government we have that they despise. Mm-hmm. Absolutely true. And um, it's, it's interesting that you said that started back when you were a student. Mm-hmm. I, I know that because I we were uh, living through the Vietnam War when I graduated from high school. And uh, they, SDS and all these different uh, radical Marxist groups mm-hmm. that were being sponsored by the Soviet Union were actually doing a lot of the protests on the campuses and all this Mm -hmm. stuff. It was being paid for by them and the American Communist Party. Mm -hmm. But they that was happening about the time that you were a young girl and you were just getting through the system. I was surprised that you said that you already as a young person were learning that uh, you needed to hate America. Yeah. Yeah, I can't even tell you exactly how I was done. I just remember vividly that conversation with my father. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's a good uh, that that's a good argument. I've I used a similar one myself uh, when somebody says that. Uh, just exactly what country do you think you uh, would like to live in, and maybe we can arrange a ticket to get you there. <laughs> yes. uh, you know, and. Uh, it's amazing because most of them are spouting this stuff through pure ignorance. They they have mm-hmm. no knowledge of what they're really talking about. Now, I grew up, my father was a, a, a communist when he was a young man. Um, he died while I was a very young, I was only seven when he died. But uh, he was a communist, and many of his family were uh, progressive socialists and stuff. And I look at what they did with their families and how they raised their families and stuff, and it was absolutely pathetic. Uh, I am so glad in a strange way, I'm so glad that I I didn't grow up in that household where my father uh, yeah. taught me communism because I'd probably be as, as goofy as some of my cousins. Yeah. You know, isn't that sad? It's, yeah, it is. It really is. 
<laughs> and and the way they grew up, they well, I I wouldn't trade places with them uh, in a million years because they grew up with this twisted view of the world, and they still live that way. And now they're my age. Some of them are right. even a few years older than me, and uh, very few of them are much younger than me. And they're the, the grandparents now that are raising these kids that are approving all this goofy, uh, horrible propaganda that's now in our school system. Yeah, you know, these people never have to correct anything either. There is, well, there's an article on my website, I don't know what it's called, but I was dealing with murder funding and murder trending by Gretchen McNeil, I think. And these two books went together to basically blast Trump's Russian collusion. Mm. Okay. And so none of that is ever corrected. It has become part of what those kids that read those books believed. You know, one of those Mm -hmm. was, I think, number one out of the top 10 or at least it was in the top 10 of the YASA, which is the Young Adult Library Services Association, you know, for kids. Any Mm -hmm. idea comes in kids' books a lot of times before you ever hear about it in the mainstream. Yeah, 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 I believe that. I believe that. And um, it's sad to me that so many parents and grandparents are so, well, you call it cognitive dissonance, that's absolutely true, but a lot of them, it's a willful ignorance because oh, yeah. Yeah. they they know better, but they <laughs> just don't want to have to deal with it, mm-hmm. and it's easier just to uh, say, well, that's just nonsense rather than argue it because they know about it. You're 100% right. In the adults, it is willful ignorance. In the kids, it creates that cognitive dissonance. Right. You know, they don't want to know because if they knew, there's an accountability and there's a responsibility in the adults. And one of the other lines that you always hear, well, my child knows better because I've always taken them to church. And I'm sorry to sit here and say, but did they really learn doctrine or were they having a PC party and coloring pictures? Right, right. And there is a big difference. And we have to decide, are we raising kids for the eternal or the temporal? That's right. That's right. And many of the churches are just as complicit with this as uh, the adults and, and the teachers. Yes. Because we have so many churches in our country now that refuse to stand up and speak the truth and do uh, real teaching, real biblical teaching, because it doesn't approve of things like Gaia and Mother Earth and all these things that uh, organizations like the uh, American Baptist Association are approving some of this insane uh, uh, Agenda 21 stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of when you're talking about Gaia and all of that type of things, those things became uh, very common in children's books in the 80s. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they go through cycles of what they're trying to introduce. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. Well, you know, I, I I like to think that I've been tuned in on things for a very long time. I tell people my first epiphany was the Kennedy assassination. I was 13 at the time, and that was so obviously false uh, for so many reasons that uh, that was my first epiphany. But honestly, you cannot keep up with all these things if you're uh, a normal person living a normal life. There are so many things coming at us from so many directions, and that's how they've gotten as far as they've gotten, because most of us don't have the time to do all the necessary research. And I guess that's why people like you are so important that people follow what you've done because you've done the legwork for them. And well, I mean, I try, it's hard. I have to tell you that every time I pick up another kid's book, I dread it and I hate it (laughs) worse than the one before. After all these years, you think they couldn't get worse They do get worse to a certain degree, but it's the same pattern. It's the same playbook all the way through. Mm -hmm. And once you recognize that playbook, it's just sad. It's very sad. Well, it is. And I I write these uh, newsletters that I do twice a week. And I'll be real honest with you. It's getting to the point that I've written about so many of the same things over and over again that sometimes it gets redundant and I, it's hard for me to write a brand new fresh, uh, fresh, uh, newsletter every, uh, every couple of days because it all goes back to the same place. Everything goes back to the same place. And that is that we are fighting against the forces of evil. If you get too intent in that uh, people call you a Bible thumper or, you know, a a fundamental uh, fundamentalist Christian or a Nazi or a, you know, there's labels for everything that we are, which is we're trying to be the whistleblowers. We're trying to be the watchman on the wall. Yes. Yes, we are. And I thank you for all you do. I really have enjoyed your programs. Well, good, good. Well, I I hope you uh, enjoy more because we're going to have you back. Uh, Let's talk about, and and I would love to have you on, uh, I do a program on Brytheon TV as well on Tuesday afternoons, and I would like to uh, try to get you to be a guest on one of those programs. Um, But Let's have a final message. First of all, I want to recommend that people go to your uh, book and look up your book, and it is an ebook, no less. I wish you'd no, put it in print. It's not. It is in print. Oh, I it only, is. I only, but you can only get it from my website. I on, see. On Kindle, I cho- or on Amazon, I chose not to put it there, but there were international orders and the shipping was cost prohibited. Uh, so I did make the ebook available on on uh, Amazon, but my book is oversized. You know, it's it's eight and a half by eleven, and uh, there's a lot of charts. It's much re- easier to read in the actual hard copy. So that's okay. where you get it is straight from my website. Yeah. 
and they need to go to your website. Give our viewers and our listeners your website so they can do that. What's inside childrensbooks.com. No apostrophes, all lowercase. What's inside childrensbooks.com. Okay, great, great. Now we we almost out of time, but I want to give you a a few minutes to talk about what your and I know we've spent two hours saying what your message to the American people and people of the world is, but if you could condense everything that we've talked about in the last two hours into something that uh, people could take away in a, a short attention span grabbing clip, what would it be? You need to read the books before your children do. You need to know if they're downloading things from the library. You need to be very aware of that. You need to actually Start maybe if you're just pregnant for the first time, go to the library, don't check them out, just pull out 20 picture books, you know, that take you about five minutes a piece and read them. And if there's one of them that you like and the other 19 you don't, write the name of that one down and start building a library for your children. And if you start reading now, you can have a nice library that will have a lot of you know, different topics. They might be into horses. They might be into dogs. They might be into, mm -hmm. uh, you know, other things. Try to have a wide variety of books on each topic that you approve of that you can talk to them about. Mm -hmm. And that uh, you know they have an interest in. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. if I love horses, you they might not interest you at all. You have to have a wide variety for kids and be able to discuss these books with them. And also read to your children. This is where they start developing their their, their vocabularies. You're reading to them. They learn how to read fluently by listening to you. Mm -hmm. So these things are very, very important. Take the time. Shut the TV off and read to them. It's a good bonding time, too. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good point. And frankly, when I was a kid, we didn't have TV. And that was probably one of the best things yes. that ever happened because uh, we we didn't learn to be TV viewers. Right. Um, you know, I, I do watch uh, movies and things like that now on occasion. Yeah. But, um, you know, I didn't get addicted to it as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big plus because there's few in our generation that can say that. And it's a big, big time waster. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's an indoctrination tool. Yeah. I, I, um, my good friend, he's now uh, gone, but uh, a good friend of mine called it the one-eyed mind sucker. Uh, and I think that was about as appropriate as anything you could say about a television. Uh, there's been numerous studies about what television has done to the American people, and that fits in. That's a whole nother discussion topic, right. but that fits in exactly with what you're talking about the books. Each one reinforces the other. It's not just the books. It's not just the TV. It's not just the video games. It's not just the school curricula. It's everything that surrounds a child. All of it fits together to create that mindset. That's why you have become a minority. And the majority, you just can't even 
comprehend today. Comprehend. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Deborah, thank you for being our guest today. Uh, uh, we've got a follow-up show, and I will talk to you offline about uh, doing a program with me on Brytheon TV at another time. And uh, let's let's do that. It's a shorter show, but I think your message is absolutely uh, spot on and needs to be something America hears. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate you having me. Sorry for the problem getting hooked up today. Oh, hey, it all it all worked out, and it was a real pleasure having you on. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee. Across the plains of Texas, oh, from sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston, New York to L.A., where there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say. There ain't no doubt.